Freedom won, freedom stayed, freedom loved, and then she flies away. Freedom never stayed long, freedom moving along. Okay, that was uh, 1971. <laughs> and the Fortunes have just arrived on the music scene with their number one hit, Freedom. And I know you really wanted to listen to the entire thing, but um, maybe later. Freedom come, freedom go, tell me yes, and then she tells me no. Freedom never stay long, freedom moving along. Freedom. Throughout the, uh, the pandemic, it's been a catch cry in some countries. We want to be virus free, but we don't want to lose our freedom. Freedom is a paradox. And Daniel chapter 6 unpacks the idea of freedom a little bit more. Actually, this is one of the most exciting chapters in the Bible. Uh, there's jealousy and plotting and intrigue. There's an upright and godly leader. And there are lions. What a great formula. Now, the whole book of Daniel focuses on Daniel and his life and a number of his friends. And they'd been taken into exile from Israel into Babylon. There they were trained to serve in the royal court. But between chapters 5 and 6, there is a change in administration. You'll recall that the Babylonians were taken over in a bloodless coup, the Medes and the Persians. Uh, such was the state of the empire at the time. They just sort of marched in and just took over. Um, and Daniel finds himself now working for Darius, the king of the Medes and the Persians. And we're told that when Darius came into power, he appointed 120 satraps, or provincial governors. And over these 120, there were three presidents, one of whom was Daniel. And we're told in verse 3 of Daniel 6 that the king planned to appoint Daniel over the entire kingdom. He had a promotion uh, idea. Now, Daniel was a person of tremendous integrity, and according to verse 3, he had an excellent spirit. So he was not only great at his job, but he, and not only was he full of integrity, but I think his excellent spirit is a reference to his great attitude. So Daniel was completely untainted by corruption, totally trustworthy, as well as that, he was faithful to God, whom he served with his whole heart. At this election time, we're often reminded of the mistakes, the blunders, and the examples of poor judgment of political aspirants, as well as the concealed skeletons that are sometimes brought out of cupboards. But there was no dirt on Daniel. He was a person of exceptional character. Now, because of all this, and because the king favoured Daniel, the other presidents and satraps became jealous and plotted to take him down. But because they could find no flaw in his character, they decided instead to use his faithfulness to God against him. They drafted a law whereby for 30 days, no one was to pray to any god except the king. And the king, in his naivety, signed it into law. Now, it was Daniel's habit, thrice daily, to open his second-story window, which faced Jerusalem, to get down on his knees and to pray to God and to praise him. 
And such was his spiritual habit of prayer that he continued to do this in spite of the new law which immediately put his life in jeopardy. Now, I want you to notice something here. Daniel was not a priest or a preacher or a prophet. Daniel was actually a civil servant in the employ of a foreign nation who did not acknowledge the God of Israel. And Daniel had been brought to Babylon when he was quite young. At this stage in his life, he was quite an old man, in his 80s probably. And he'd been educated and trained in the royal court. No doubt he spoke the local language, I suspect flawlessly, without accent. He dressed like a courtier and must have looked very much like a Babylonian and then, of course, the Medes and the Persians. And I don't know what, you know, dress standards the difference were, but he would have looked just like one of them. But, you know, underneath, he was a devout Jew and prayed to and worshipped the God of Israel. So when he opened his window facing Jerusalem, this was his way of orientating his heart and his mind toward God. This was his true home. This was his true orientation. This was his identity. He was a Babylonian outwardly, but in his heart, he was in Jerusalem. Many of us have responsible jobs in business, industry, health, construction, academia, education, the trades and many other professions. And the challenge here is to be like Daniel, to be people of integrity, to be people of honesty and goodness, to be people with an excellent spirit. But most importantly, we're called to be people who have our minds and hearts orientated towards Jerusalem. Not ultimately to the stock market. Not ultimately to the beehive. Not ultimately to the corporate head office. But to God. I'll just tell you a story. This is in brackets. Um, when I worked in industry, um, in the paper industry, um, there was one time I can uh, remember very clearly when we had a paper mill shutdown. It was a, it was a disaster. It was uh, something serious went wrong with the paper machine. And, of course, every minute of lost production is a minute lost profit. And my um, chief engineer used to say, imagine a person with $100 bills at the end of the paper machine. Every minute that's not running, there's a guy there tossing money down the drain. So it was a big deal. But it happened on a Sunday. And I was due to play my guitar at church on Sunday. So I went early in the morning, did what I could, and then I went to church, and later my boss said, that is the wrong priority. You did wrong. You belong to the man, the company. You are supposed to be a company man. And so I was basically saying to him in my naive way, my heart is orientated to Jerusalem, not to corporate head office. We orientate ourselves towards God, don't we? 
We open the windows of our hearts and minds towards God. We can live and work successfully within the world. We dress and we speak as people of the world. But let our hearts and affections and our minds be towards God. But even more than this, let us cultivate the spiritual habits of those who belong to God. The two things mentioned in verse 10 that Daniel had embedded in his life were prayer and praise. To kneel before God in our hearts, to develop the spiritual life, to participate in corporate worship. Because when the edict was announced, Daniel simply continued to do what he always did. He prayed three times a day. He does not come across like a religious fanatic. He does not court martyrdom, which actually happened in Christian history. Crazily. He simply continues to practice a spiritual habit of praying three times a day. When there is a crisis, we automatically fall back into the deeply rooted habits of life that have developed over a lifetime. What are the habits that will carry you through a crisis? Have you developed them? You can't develop them at the time of the crisis. You must develop them when everything is peaceful and harmonious and we can do anything we like with our time. God reminds us, develop the spiritual life. What needs to be strengthened in your life so that when a crisis comes, you will fall back automatically on your faith in God. And so inevitably, Daniel is arrested and brought before the king. Now this is interesting. Because in their efforts to impose the rule of law upon their newly acquired kingdom, the Medes and the Persians were utterly inflexible. No fine print, no court of appeal. And because of this, the king finds himself in a paradoxical position. His most senior and trusted leader is to be put to death. Darius agonizes over this. Verse 14 says he was distressed and tried to find a way around the law. Some lawyers among us probably said, well, that's a good thing. And it probably was. But it was a paradoxical situation because he could not. Daniel is taken and cast into the den of lions. The king says, may your God, whom you faithfully serve, deliver you. A great stone was rolled in front of the mouth of the den and was sealed shut with the king's own royal seal. They were very thorough in the application of their law. And in verse 18, we're told that the king went into his palace and spent the night fasting. No food was brought to him and sleep fled from him. In the cartoon, it was quite good, wasn't it? Someone brought some pancakes and the king, no, don't want those. Now, I wonder who had the better night's sleep. Uh, Certainly not the satraps who conspired against Daniel. They're wondering if their scheme will succeed. And if they themselves, if appointed to high office, whether others will plot against them. And certainly not the king, 
He finds himself in bondage to his own law and spends a sleepless night worrying about the miscarriage of justice. I contend that Daniel had the best night's sleep of anyone in Babylon that night. This could be painting too rosy a picture because it's okay to be anxious about the lions, but I'm just using poetic license. You see, Daniel has placed himself not under the king's law, but under a greater law, the law of God. And although he is in a den of lions with a stone over the entrance, Daniel is the only truly free person in the narrative. Think for a moment of President Putin of Russia. Don't quote me on this. I don't want someone to come after me with poison or whatever. By all accounts, he has created a kind of mafia state. And on the surface, it appears that he is the strong man, the powerful leader, strutting around, riding horses. Surely he can come and go as he pleases. Surely nothing is beyond his pleasure or desire. Surely he is free. But the paradox is that he himself is caught in his own regime, the very culture that he has nurtured, to the extent that he must now keep hold of power in case... One of his many enemies comes after him. He appears to be free, but is actually in bondage. By contrast, there is tremendous freedom in the service of God. The scripture says that if the Son makes you free, you will be free indeed. John chapter 8. I contend that the most humble Christian serving God in China or Palestine or Somalia or indeed any of the Western countries is freer than the most powerful leader in the world. And it's a paradox because we place ourselves under God and make ourselves servants of God, don't we? We put ourselves out for God. We pray and we worship and we serve. All this takes time and effort. And in the process, we actually give away some of our freedom, don't we? And yet, we are not less free. Somehow, in the economy of God, we have gained much more than we gave away. We have gained purpose and hope. We have gained eternal life. We have gained our full humanity, which very much depends on our relationship with God, our Creator. We are free indeed. The story races to a climax. At first light, the king hastens to the den and finds that Daniel is alive. Verse 23 says that he was exceedingly glad. Daniel is taken out and the text says that no kind of harm was found on him because he had trusted in his God. We may, of course, face our own hostile regimes. We may have those who want to discredit us. It's possible that some here this morning are in that situation. We may have those um, who might even take pleasure in our suffering or failure. We may have lions that we must face every single day. Who or what are the lions you face this morning? The story of Daniel teaches us that God alone will vindicate us. 
God alone will save us, God will help us. But, of course, it doesn't mean that he will always, we will always survive without any kind of harm, as Daniel was. That would be very naive and quite contrary to the history of, of, of the Christian faith down through time. Think about the many parallels between Jesus and Daniel. They were both betrayed by associates. They were both condemned on false charges. They were both thrown into tombs and not expected to survive. Indeed, both tombs were sealed with the official seal of the state. Human powers did all they could to destroy Daniel and Jesus Christ. And yet, in both cases, early in the morning, Daniel and Jesus emerged from their respective tombs because of God's power to protect and to save. But... Note well the key difference between Daniel and Jesus. Jesus suffered and died, but Daniel did not. We may or may not suffer. God may or may not spare us from difficulties. But we always hope and trust that ultimately God has a good future for us, whether it be in this life or the next. So, this morning, we've learned a number of things from the book of Daniel. Well, actually, a single chapter. There's lots more there. His manner of life and commitment to God is a great example to us all. He turned his body, his heart and mind, towards Jerusalem. This was the orientation of his whole identity. He also cultivated the spiritual life with godly habits of prayer and praise. But most importantly, he was rescued from the lion's den because he submitted to God's rule, which transcended the fads of human law. And as a result, he found true freedom. Let us follow the example of Daniel. Amen. Now, uh, I would like to invite...